Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro, and I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And I want to talk to you uh, today about a theme that I've been thinking about and pondering and studying for the last year and a half, over a year and a half now. And actually, I've been studying the issue of discipleship here in the Gospel of Matthew for well over 18 months, uh, verse by verse, and looking at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to bring people into discipleship? And so I'm actually calling this leading your people to follow the crucified Jesus, leading your people to follow the crucified Jesus. I actually gave this uh, message uh, recently at our Emotionally Healthy Leadership Summit or Discipleship Summit in New York City a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to break it down and do it here as part of a podcast in a couple of parts uh, because it is, I believe, one of the core issues for us as leaders. Now, of course, if we're going to lead others to follow the crucified Jesus, that means that we're following the crucified Jesus. So uh, this is coming out of my own journey and wrestling with Scripture. Uh, and actually, in our entire shift of our ministry is has been to uh, in, into discipleship from leadership. In other words, the key to the future is leaders, right? Leaders, we uh, living, embracing, being the very message we want to proclaim to the world because we can't give what we don't possess. We can only give what we do possess. Who we are is more important than what we do. Uh, it's always going to be the impact that it has on people as people touch, quote, the hem of our garment. Uh, the life that's in us or not in us is what's going to come forth. But leadership, actually, if anything, is a high-level intensive discipleship. And so our journey over these years has been to move into bringing to the church a paradigm of discipleship that's radically different that I'm going to call based on the crucified Christ uh, because that's the only way we're going to develop leaders, healthy cultures, have large missional impact in the world is if we really do a discipleship that deeply changes people in our churches, and of course, that deeply changes us as well. So at the center of this is the issue of Jesus. And our text is going to be out of Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, from Matthew 16, where after Jesus tells him and the disciples that he's going to suffer and die and be resurrected, uh, G Peter pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him and says, never, Lord. And uh, this shall never happen to you. And, and Peter, we learn at that moment, he he wants to follow the person of Jesus, but he's not that excited about following the crucified Jesus. And I think in the same way in our Western culture, we are into Jesus very often, but it's not necessarily the crucified Jesus. And Peter, I think his struggle is the universal struggle of what it means to be a disciple, and that is wrestling with this term crucified Jesus and, and the reality of our Lord choosing this path. And so uh, I want to begin by expanding on uh, what's happening in our culture. Christian Smith is a sociologist out of Notre Dame who's done uh, a number of studies on the state of uh, Christians, what Christians believe in our churches. And he began by studying uh, teenagers in 2005, then he moved to young adults and, and adults. And, and he found that he called it moralistic therapeutic deism, kind of a mushy pseudo-religion is what exists in our churches. And that, uh, you know, yes, I, I believe in a God who exists, who created the world. Yes, God wants people to be good, nice, fair to each other. But the central goal of, of most people who believe in our churches is to be happy. The goal of life, be happy and 
feel good about oneself and and God doesn't need to be involved in my life except when I need to solve a problem and that good people go to heaven when they die. And again, he called it a, a mushy pseudo-religion, moralistic deism and and basically that it's destroying a biblical Christianity from within and has little to do with the Christ of Scripture. And, and actually, there was a, a, a book written in 2010 about the issue of Christianity and genocide in Rwanda. And the author was wrestling with, out of, came out of Cambridge University Press, was how is it that Rwanda was 90% Christian and yet in uh, you had this massive genocide uh, where 800,000 to a million people died? And his question in the book was, so is something in the nature of Christianity in Rwanda that made it unable or unwilling to restrain genocide? It was a discipleship issue. Same thing in, in Germany in 1930s uh, where – and actually in, the, in March of 2008, the New Yorker magazine published photographs that never before had been seen of Nazis at leisure uh, outside of Auschwitz who were guarding a camp, officers and guards relaxing, enjoying themselves, yet uh, – as countless people were being murdered and cremated in the nearby death camp. And you see SS officers singing and laughing and decorating a Christmas tree, and uh, yet around them is unimaginable suffering. And, and actually some very famous people are in the photo of, uh, you know, Rudolf Haas and Joseph Mengele, the doctor of death, and who had supervised the building of Auschwitz. And, uh, and, and the question is, how is it that uh, a number of these men, if not many of them, were baptized and, and actually connected to churches, uh, probably were listening to scripture uh, during those years. And the question is, is how many of them were doing that? And I suspect the answer may be a, a lot, but it's a sober reminder of our need to engage in the serious and the hard work of, of discipleship of the people that we're leading. Uh it is rightly been said, discipleship is the number one problem in the church today globally because everything flows from it. Uh, but it's a really hard concept to get. It's it's tough. Uh, and uh, it was tough for Peter. It's tough for us. And again, when Jesus begins explaining the suffering of the cross, Peter, Peter says, no, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Uh, because he only gets half the gospel that, that uh, you know, he's upset and he starts telling Jesus what to do. And I spent a lot of my leadership life telling Jesus what to do. I needed new workers. I needed, you know, a fresh vision. I needed finance. Uh, but Jesus is, is is in a state of revulsion at Peter saying, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Peter says, get behind me. Because a disciple is is uh, means I'm behind Jesus. He's leading. I don't get in front of him. And Peter gets in front of Jesus, starts telling Jesus where to go. And and. You know, Peter, Jesus says to him, you have in mind the concerns of human beings, which literally means in, in the original language, you're gripped by the concerns of human beings. Your, your, your mind is on, on the world and the world's perspective, and uh, you've got to get behind me. Come follow me into a life of discipleship, which is, you know, radically different. You know, Jesus is our teacher. You know, we live with him. We're in a school with him. Our life is discipleship. Our life is following. What are you saying, Jesus? What's on your heart? And the major mark of the church is we're a people that that follow, we're disciples, we're learning from Jesus, and uh, that is the major mark of the church, we're the new family of Jesus, you know, following him. And I would say that the, the core of my study the last 18, 19 months on the Gospel of Matthew 
has been a contrast of what I call worldly discipleship and Jesus' discipleship, because they're very different. And Peter has a worldly discipleship, as did the 12 disciples. They, 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 they wrestled with moving to a Jesus discipleship. And, and, and I summarize, and I'll take them one by one, worldly discipleship uh, in, in four simple phrases. Worldly discipleship is be popular, be great, uh, be successful, and avoid suffering and failure. Uh, Jesus' discipleship is reject popularity, uh, reject greatness-ism, uh, reject success-ism, and embrace suffering and failure. It's, it's, it's the opposite. Uh, and Jesus refocuses reality for us and for the disciples that what is highly valued among human beings is, dete- is detestable in God's sight. It's, it's the opposite of the world. And, and now each one of these is slightly different, but they, over, and, and, but, but they overlap. And uh, what's really important is I kind of take them one by one here, and I may not get through it all in our first, you know, this first part here is that uh, they're satanic in origin. I think we got to call it for what it is. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, it's filled with these uh, amazing pictures uh, as John gets these visions of dragons and beasts uh, uh, coming up from the earth. And and and, and what, what, what the whole book of Revelation is that it, it, the message of Jesus speaks to these seven churches in Asia Minor and saying that there is powers and principalities, that, that Rome is the beast, you know, the, the culture, but behind Rome are demonic powers seeking to swallow you up uh, and cut you off from the living Jesus so that you don't bear witness to him uh, and so you don't speak truth in the midst of lies. And and really, it's been that way since the beginning of time, regardless of what country you're, listening, you're living in right now, uh, behind every government ultimately are powers, demonic powers, uh, seeking to silence uh, and crush true followers of Jesus. And so we are called to a following of Jesus where we reject the values of the world uh, and they don't, we don't allow them to become part of our discipleship. And so let me break them up one by one. Uh, and I realize you're listening, you may be in a car or driving or doing your exercise or you know walking right now. Uh, but just allow yourself to ponder these words for yourself. Uh, don't worry about everybody else and those you're leading at this point, just for your own life uh, and allow it to sink in a bit and, and asking God again how he's coming to you. So the first is the, wor- the world's discipleship says, you know, be popular. And Jesus says his discipleship is, no, reject popularity. Now for Peter, Peter's the number one leader of the of the band at this point in uh, in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew here in Matthew 16. The Pharisees are the most popular people in the country and the Sadducees. I mean, these are the, uh, you know, they're the leaders. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to be rejected by them and I'm, I'm going to be killed. And Peter realized I'm going to lose all popularity here if the Lord gets killed. And uh, Peter's not excited about that. That's why he says, never Lord. And, uh, you know, what, what Peter had a hard time seeing is what we have a hard time seeing. And that is that Jesus came into the world and he rejected all the worldly categories of being popular. Uh, you know, he came to earth in great modesty, in a barrio, in a manger. And he came as a refugee, as a fugitive. He was a wanted person. He lived in Nowheresville, Nazareth. He, he, he was, Jesus was incredibly free from what other people thought. Uh, he refused to advertise himself. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were very unimpressed with Jesus. They wanted a sign. And, you know, Jesus, show us, you know, and, and Jesus just refused to do a miracle on call to be popular. He, he refused to advance his life by a miraculous meal, miraculous jumping, 
Uh, he was very anchored in the father's love for him, uh, for his identity. And, and, and so we're challenged as disciples to reject popularity as well. Uh, he challenges us to, to do our deeds in a very unshowy fashion. Uh, in fact, as unshowy as possible. We, we are not performers. And that great passage in Matthew 6 where he talks about, you know, don't pray or fast uh, or give like, you know, to, to perform to others before the people, you know, do it in secret before God. Uh, we're to give up all acting. We, we don't, that's the word hypocrisy is for acting. So others could look at us. Uh, we're not trying to be super spiritual. We're not trying to impress people. We've actually, a disciple is someone who's been freed from the opinion of others. Uh, this is so deep and so unconscious and so outside our awareness that that we don't even think about it. I mean, I can be sitting here right now. I'm doing this podcast with you. I'm sitting at my desk in my, you know, little office on the third floor of my house. But, you know, I could be thinking, what what do you think of me? I mean, how, how am I doing right now? And how am I going to come off? And, and uh, see, the issue is, is, of course, motive. And I often ask myself, uh, there is enough, there's enough controversial issues floating out there. Uh, and am I being wise in how I approach it publicly? Uh, or is it an issue of, am I afraid of what people think about me? And just think of all the issues, whether it's hell or issues of judgment or money or abortion or God's design you know, for marriage and sexuality. Am I being wise and prudent as a leader or am I actually just being afraid? Uh, I mean, I, I think about even talking about church history and the global church and what's happening around the world. And am I approaching this out of fear uh, of not saying certain things? And I, I think often of the church in Syria and Iraq and the Middle East or the Ethiopian church, church in the eastern part of the world and how tempting it is to just, you know, they do, they're very different than my tradition here as a you know, evangelical, charismatic, you know, Protestant here in the West, Western world. And do I stand with that church knowing that I'll be judged maybe by some others if I do? Uh, you know, why do I do Facebook? You know, why do I do Twitter? Why am I committed to social media uh, as part of my ministry? Is it really about getting likes? And, um, you know, there was a, you know, a, I was just reading just today a, um, a bit of a book called The Happiness Effect by by uh, Donna Friedis. And, and it, it just did massive amount of interviews with college students and and with social media and smartphones and this 24-7 nature of that pressure. And basically, it was it's an expose on, on the enormous pressure students feel or people, young people feel, to project an image of happiness and success. But really applies to everyone, all ages, not just young people. Uh, and where we are so concerned about how I appear to others. And social media is probably one of the most obvious ways that happens. New York Times had an article recently about, actually a few months ago, about it's called the follower factory and how, and the whole black market of social media, how people buy Twitter followers and retweets and, uh, you know, Facebook likes and all that and and uh, LinkedIn and YouTube followers. And, and they talk about the customers. People spend, you know, a lot of money to get 200,000 customers and celebrities and athletes and politicians and TED speakers and models. And then he mentioned even pastors do it. And I thought, absolutely, you know, they, they buy them. I mean, can you imagine being a celebrity and having 10 followers or a politician and not having a lot of followers? And can you imagine being a pastor and not having any followers or, you know, and, and uh, you can go to sites like Social Envy 
uh, with a little credit card, you can buy a huge following on almost any social media platform. And, uh, you know, if it's a temptation uh, to, quote, be popular. Uh, but the craving for honor and to impress is so contrary to the spirit and the life of the crucified Jesus uh, who hung naked from a cross. And so a great question to ask yourself is, you know, look at your interactions and decisions each day, today, today, yesterday, and ask, you know, did I act in ways uh, to get the approval of people in front of me or to avoid their disapproval? Uh, and just slow down a bit and begin to ask yourself those questions uh, on a daily basis because it's just so tempting to do it. Uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, reject popularity because – you know, and, and and the world's disciples, you know, be popular because we're seeking to be popular before one person, that is him alone. We want to be popular with God. Uh, and, you know, for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, I'll come back to that uh, for sure by, you know, the next part of this podcast. Um, uh, we are to seek popularity with one person, and it is the Lord Jesus himself, to hear him say at the end of our lives, wonderful, you know, well done. So that craving for popularity is not a bad thing. We were actually created with a desire to be praised, but it is that that, that it's disordered. And so we go we go looking in the wrong places for popularity because the place where to go and look for that is from him, the Lord Jesus himself. Because that's really all that matters when it's all said and done. Uh, the most popular people in the world are going to fade away. It's so, it's so short-lived. It's an illusion. And Peter the Apostle has got to learn to say, Peter, it's irrelevant how people see you. Uh, what, what matters is how I see you. you know, be faithful. You know, Be a good and faithful servant you know, to me through good and bad times. All right, that's number one. Be popular. Let me move to number two. The second a uh, core issue uh, in discipleship in the Gospel of Matthew is, you know, worldly discipleship is be great, you know, like be big. Jesus' discipleship is reject greatness-ism. I'm going to call it greatness-ism. Uh, in other words, be little. Uh, you got, I know greatness-ism is not a word, but you've got to see in, 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 the, in the culture of the world is, you know, be something great. Uh, and Jesus says, no, no, follow me and reject the world's Greatnessism, just reject it categorically, have nothing to do with it. Uh, Peter is consumed with the leaven of the Pharisees uh, and, and being sensational, being great. He's got big plans for the future. That's why he goes cutting off ears later. He just can't take the idea of losing this eye of greatness, of gr losing this idea of greatness. I mean, he is number one. Uh, and Satan inspires this, uh, just like he inspires popularity. Uh, he can inspire greatness. And, uh, you know, Jesus, remember the temptations of the wilderness. He comes to Jesus, turn these stones to bread. You know, I'll give, uh, you, know, I'll give you the world. Uh, you know, jump off this temple. I'll, I'll give you the world. Bow down with me for a minute. Everyone will bow to you. Uh, you know, don't go the hard way. You know, follow me and, and I'll make you great. And, 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 and Jesus resists that. I mean, we too have to resist uh, being the greatest leader, the greatest pastor, a great business person, a great employee, get a great degree from a great institution and name drop, you know, that we're great. I know this person. I met this person once, you know, and and we wondered, do people, does this person think I'm great? Do they know I'm great? And what Jesus invites us to do as followers is, is, is again, it's a crucified way. And that is 
he invites us to give up the whole idea of being great at all, to abandon the quest for status entirely. So again, regardless if you're listening to this podcast and you are poor, uh, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, well, very wealthy, do you understand? And, and God may have you know, given you great wealth, but we abandon the quest for greatness entirely. It doesn't mean anything to us because there's only one person that we're looking to be great to with, and that, that is Jesus himself. And But you see the culture endlessly and ceaselessly and persistently directs us in the opposite direction because it's satanic and it's satanic. It's demonic in origin is be great. I was talking to someone recently who uh, was in federal prison for a number of years and he was describing to me in detail uh, the issue of who gets a chair in the TV room and the ladder of the chairs and uh, no one sits in my chair and how that all works with different ethnic groups. And I mean, it was just, it was just incredible. And, and even to be great is so deep in the culture, even in a prison, you've got people fighting about it and it's a pecking order and you cross that, you're going to find yourself in big trouble. But Jesus' kingdom is little, uh, perpetually little. It's always a seed, a mustard seed, and it's in earthen vessels. But we are to practice humility. We're, we're actually to be with little people. Uh, we're, not, we're not looking to be the man or the woman, uh, you know, in the, at that work or in the family or with friends. And I mean, I, I'm amazed at how many young people uh, go into a certain field, law, medicine, whatever, go to a certain school, but it's all a desire to be seen as great. Uh, and, you know, God is not even a piece of that, uh, you know, and, and you know, I think how different this call to be to Jesus to reject greatnessism uh, in the culture uh, for him. Because I think little choices have to be made all the time. And I, uh, you know, I've been very blessed in that over the years, Jerry, uh, because of her commitment to quality and discipleship, serious discipleship, we always had a small group in our basement. And it would be an intensive small group. And we did it for many, many years. Uh, and it would it'd be an enormous commitment. I mean, each year we take, you know, 14 to 18 people and it would be uh, 80 to 120 hours in our basement, quite intensive. And in fact, all of emotionally healthy discipleship, all our materials actually came out of our basement over a period of a couple over decades. And but I used to sit there in the basement saying, you know, I'm, I'm leading this church. I've got so much to do <laughs> to do. And I don't really have time for this, but I knew it was right. Uh and I, I think I, I, Jerry was a great gift to me by anchoring me on what's really important, and that is it was my basement, was the most important work that I was doing as the lead pastor of our church for many years, even though it looked so little and foolish. Uh, again, one of the most impressive marks of Jesus was that it was the unimpressive people that impressed him. Uh, and he attacks consistently pride and uh, worldly security and those who are grasping for power and to be relevant and to climb the, the religious ladder or the social ladder. Um, he just blasts that because for him, a, a disciple is following the crucified Jesus who let all that go, the greatness by the world standards, and has one looking looking for one thing, and that is to be great before him, the Lord himself, who would say at the end of my life, well done, good and faithful servant. And what does it mean to be great before God today? And, you know, it's really to do as well. 
And uh, so Jesus shifts us. He shifts our goals from great plans for personal success, and he redirects us to little deeds in other people's service, from greatnessism to littlenessism. Uh, so we reject greatness, uh, greatnessism in the name of Jesus, and uh, for his will. Let me do one more here uh, as we close and uh, before our time gets away from us today. And so it's it, the world's discipleship says be popular. Jesus says no, reject popularity. The world's discipleship says uh, be great. Uh, Jesus says no, reject greatnessism. Uh, the world's discipleship says be successful. Uh, Jesus' discipleship says reject successism. And again, I know successism is not a word, but it gives you a sense of that. It's that it oozes in the culture. Be a success. Jesus, no, reject it categorically. And again, it success will look different in different cultures and different times of history. But it's a, it's ultimately the world's success is a demonic pull to get us out of abiding in the Father and surrendering and seeking his will to wanting to be popular, wanting to be great, wanting to be successful by the world standards and just pulling us away from Jesus and his will for us. And one of the greatest challenges, no doubt, for every follower of Jesus is to give up the world's standard of success. I'm gonna, I'll say it again because it's so important. One of the greatest challenges of being a Christ follower is to give up the world's standard of success. And again, that, what does that mean? It could be money, it could be power, it could be status, it could be title, it could be impressing people, whatever it is for you uh, or, or around you, I give it up completely uh, for him. I reject it. Peter wants to be a success so badly that when Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified, he just, he can't even hear resurrection. He just can't, all he hears is crucified. He just sees about rejection. Uh, he sees defeat. Uh and uh, he just starts rebuking Jesus. I mean, we may not rebuke him as overtly as Peter did in Matthew 16, but we do it very unconsciously, subtly, as if, you know, we're not, since we're not as blunt as Peter, it doesn't count as badly. But again, Peter starts cutting off ears. Uh, as Jesus starts to get arrested, uh, he just can't take it. And we go kicking and screaming into defeat. You know, we forget so often that it's in it's in our defeats and failures that we actually meet God so often. And actually, these are some of God's greatest gifts to us. So to the person whose passion is to make it, to build the biggest, have the best network, the, the best connections and build the most secure life possible, Jesus promises one thing, you will lose your life and destruction. Uh, no, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will, will find it. So we measure success by what do you do? Again, possessions, power, position, be our relevance, building a big ministry, numbers, big house, travel the world, great retirement account, you know, make my parents, my immigrant parents proud. And uh, Jesus says, no, reject successism, you know, categorically. One of my favorite uh, stories comes from Thomas Merton, who was a Trappist monk. And after writing a bestseller, called Seven Story Mountain, uh, he was asked about success. And here's what he writes. He goes, a few years ago, a man who was compiling a book on success wrote and asked me for a statement on how I got to be a success. And I swore I'd spent my life strenuously avoiding success. If it happened that I had once written a bestseller, this was a pure accident, he writes. It was due to inattention and naiveness. 
and I would take very good care never to do the same thing again. If I had one message he writes to my contemporaries, it was surely this. Be anything you want. Be a madman, be a drunk, of every shape and form, but at all costs, avoid one thing, success. <laughs> Love it. At all costs, avoid one thing, success. Now, uh, I know some folks who are a great success by the world's uh, standards, and, uh, and uh, that is a gift. And at the same time, they're very grounded uh, because they know it's so fleeting. Uh, they know it doesn't mean much uh, in the long run. It's all going to fade and pass away. Uh, and that's why if you're listening to this podcast and you have reached the top of your field, uh, that's a gift to receive and to steward. But you need to uh, remember uh, your success you long for is one thing, and that's him, to be faithful to him, to hear at the end of your life, wonderful, well done, good and faithful servant, and uh, that you just know it's all going to pass away, but staying grounded. I know a couple of, I know some folks are just doing a fantastic job at that. So, because it's, it's an entrustment to be given that kind of, quote, worldly success and be able to see through it, you know, for what it is. So remember, success is becoming the person God's called you to become and doing what God has called you to do. That That is success. I'll say it one more time. Success is becoming the person God has called you to become and doing what God has called you to do. So uh, let me close with this. Of these three that I've mentioned, be popular, be great, and be successful, which are the world's discipleship and, and actually the evil ones pull on each of us, which one is uh, the greatest temptation to you that you need to really repent of today and just trust yourself to God for today is popularity. And it can, your popularity could be with a, a child. It could be with a spouse. It could be with a boss. Is it greatness uh, to be something great in the world? Is it be successful by the world standards? And, and I want to invite you to relinquish that today uh, and uh, you know trust him, uh, put your faith in him. Instead of being in front of Jesus, get like Peter, get behind Jesus listen for his voice and follow wherever he wants to lead you to go. Yes, it's full of uh, surprises, but you want to reject that satanic power who is pulling you in that direction and uh, and follow him. You know, it's really hard to hear. It was hard for Peter, James, and John and the disciples to hear in the first century. It's hard for us to hear in the 21st century. But if you're, you're a leader, this is called the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast, uh, it seems like the leaders, at least in the New Testament, are the ones who have a special resistance to the crucified Jesus. Because in some ways, by being leaders, we're pulled into popularity, greatness, and success. But we've got to see through it all for the sake of Christ. So again, our leadership flows out of our discipleship. So we want to be followers of the person of Jesus first. So let me invite you uh, to go to emotionallyhealthy.org, get on our mailing list, uh, join us in this movement as we seek to provide resources to help people like yourself lead and follow as a disciple of Christ. Uh, get trained. Uh, go through these Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, part one and two. Uh, each month I do a live training for three hours, uh, and I would encourage you to do it yourself uh, with another couple of people and maybe and do it in a class. But you want to dig into your own discipleship and follow Jesus. It's hard work, but it's liberating because after the crucifixion always comes resurrection and life. And our next training is May 31st at the end of the month from one to four. But you can look whenever you're listening to this podcast. Each month there is one. Go to our website. Check that out. 
So it's great to be with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you uh, today. And may you be filled with him to a cup overflowing that you may offer your life as a gift to the world. God bless you. Great to be with you. Mm -hmm.